Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. of chats from the blog cabin the show where i invite people virtually into the blog cabin to chat about life today we're going to be chatting all about the parent and child relationship and what happens when drugs enter the picture um today i'm chatting with christine she wrote this amazing book called about natalie and it's about her relationship how it changed with her daughter and how they were able to come back together so christine thank you for coming on the show and before we talk about your book tell us a little bit about yourself well thank you for having me um what to tell? Uh, well, I am a wife and a mom. I have three children. I have uh, two sons in addition to Natalie. Uh, I have spent a lot of time being a stay-at-home mom and kind of a part-time writer. And uh, once upon a time, I was a preschool and kindergarten teacher. And um, pretty t- traditional in every way. So I um, guess that's all. So what made you decide to write this book? Because there is, it's really heartbreaking as a parent to see your child go through this um i decided to write about natalie because i mean i always thought that i would write about all of my writing comes from personal experiences and uh feelings in my heart that i just can't not express uh i we were natalie was suffering uh struggling and suffering with addiction which meant that you know i was struggling and suffering right along with her. And I always thought that maybe I could write about it. Um, but originally I thought, well, I need a happy ending. I need to know how the story ends and I am going to wait for a happy ending and then I'm going to write about it. Um, and then one day I woke up and I thought, you know, um, while still hoping for our happy ending, um, there are so many people that are struggling exactly in the middle of it like Mm -hmm. we are and um one of the most overwhelming feelings when your child is struggling with addiction is the feeling of isolation and embarrassment and um shame and you just feel that you're alone and i thought maybe i could just reach out to those people who were feeling alone as well and and let them know you're you're not alone and you know i'm here for you and um we're we're in this together now one of the things i remember you talking about was like the guilt of did you cause this to happen like and the guilt and the shame that the parents have with their child has a a drug problem for sure i mean there's there's all that i mean you go immediately to um i i went, went immediately to where was i you know what where where was i when all of this was developing when all of this was happening i mean um so you feel a lot of guilt and you feel guilt for allowing it to happen in the first place and then you feel a lot of guilt for not being able to eliminate it completely 
so um, there's a there's a there's a lot of lot of emotions there. So how did you and the rest of the family navigate this? Because obviously you had that relationship with your husband and then you had two sons who were looking at their sisters. How uh -huh. did you guys navigate that together and still manage to stay together? Well, I mean, I think first of all, you have to make a conscious decision that you're going to do this, that you're, you're going to stick together because there's so many things that can tear you apart. I mean, we were all struggling. I mean, it's so true what they say about addiction being a family disease. Um, you don't really get that until it's happened to your family and you realize that it affects everyone in the family um, some ways the same, but some ways differently. Um, you know, we all carry, we're all carrying bag baggage around, but like in different suitcases. And um, we, we just made, I mean, a, a a definite effort to be there for Natalie, but then also be there for each other. And, um, you know, in our mind, it's just, it's just what families do. You don't quit and you, you don't, you don't split. I love, I love that. And let's talk about um, Natalie's poems in the books because you have her poems are all throughout the book. And this was some of those deep, dark poems oh, yeah. in there. So why did she consent to allowing you to have those in the book? Um, you know, she's, she was just so gracious to allow that to happen. Um, we, we first started, I, when I said to her, you know, I got her permission before I, you know, wrote a word and I said, you know what, now I want to do this. I, I want to help. I want to reach out. Um, two reasons. I, first of all, want to let moms and families know that they are not alone. And second, uh, you're my beautiful, wonderful, quirky, brilliant girl. And I want people to know that addicts are valuable people. They are cherished mm -hmm. people. They are loved ones. They are not monsters. Whatever your preconceived idea of what an addict is, you know, that's not it. I wanted people to get to know me, but more importantly, I wanted them to get to know her. Mm -hmm. And, um, and originally we decided that um, I said, well, how about I write a chapter and you write a chapter and back and forth and back and forth. And we tried that for a small bit and it wasn't working out. And she said, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I can do that. And I said, okay. And she said, but I think I can give you some poems. And um, to prove that you never stop learning about your child that you think, you know, I said, poems, you're a poet. And I was kind of mm -hmm. skeptical at first. I thought, you know, okay, okay, whatever you want to offer is, is good by me. And then, um, she knocked me over with the poetry because I mean, it is about as real and as raw and mm -hmm. as honest as it gets. And I just commend her for her honesty. And for, I, I mean, I put myself all out there, but boy, she put herself all out there equally. So she did. And I think one of the things that made my heart drop, I mean, there's a lot of different instances in the book, but when she was like, she wanted to write an I'm sorry note to the doctor that delivered her. Yes. And I was like, wow, they, you have to feel at the lowest of the low to actually feel like you had to apologize to the doctor. That you let him down. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a moment. I remember exactly where I was standing and where she was standing when she said it. And I was like, my God, you know, that's, I'm so sorry. And, you know, I mean, again, I, I could well up with tears just now thinking about that. Yeah, I think any any parent would well up with tears if they think of their child not even wanting to be there and having messed up. Right. 
so what when did you first notice that things were off and that she was starting struggling with drugs well, I'm gonna be honest. I mean, it's it's again part of the the embarrassment and the shame for me. I, I was late to the party. I was late to the party. I mean, I found out that Natalie was experimenting with um, pills when she was 12, mm. and um, she was. Um, it's very um, common. Um, I didn't know it. Um, very common. She um, was taking pills from her grandparents' medicine cabinet. And I was none the wiser. I, I didn't know. I, I, you know, they tell you, you know, when people tell you, you know, watch the pills, secure the pills, count the pills, all of that. Um, that's the kind of advice that somehow you just think is for other people. And, you know, it's really not for other people. It, you know, um, and um, she was she was doing that. And um, but did I know? I mean, honestly, no, I, I didn't know there were there were signs all sorts of signs um but every all of the signs that i saw could be attributed to other things mm -hmm. up her personality um just spreading her wings and all of that um but it wasn't until she was 15 that i realized that she was really in deep now does she tell you has she have conversations with you about her first experience was it was she being pushed was she being peer pressure or was that just something she did on her own um well the answer to that is kind of both um i didn't again more guilt um natalie um i always i think um suffered from a little bit of anxiety a little bit of depression um there was bullying um there was low self-esteem and again, I just kind of thought, oh, well, you know, a little bit of this or a little, you know, like, I thought she was making it through it all fine. And he, I think that she felt um, she felt bad enough in her own in her own skin that she was old enough to realize that, you know, people do take pills that make you feel different and um a little bit better and i think that was where it all started so not exactly pushed um and then i think getting as she uh, the feeling of acceptance well i mean i think there's just nothing i mean obviously there's nothing more important to young people than or all of us really to feel mm -hmm. accepted and um i think you search around for your group and when you're not accepted by this group, this group, or this group, mm -hmm. um, it's you, you're never going to tell a young person that that being alone is better than that particular group. Mm -hmm. And um, she found them, and they embraced her, and that wanting to be to belong and wanting to um, feel like she was a part of something um, that didn't help. That kind of goes along with my next question. It was like a couple of times when Natalie went missing, you and your husband were looking for pictures and you wanted the American girl picture and not the picture of what she looked like as an addict, but as an American girl. And let's talk about the, the stigma around addicts. Well, that's the, th that, that's the thing. I mean, I remember looking through the pictures and um, I said, you know, you know, we want the girl next door because, um, you know, 
do the police look harder for the girl next door than they do for an addict? I mean, I'm not saying they do or they don't, but you you want them to like her. You want them to 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 care. You want them to um, you know, you want to say, "This is my baby. Please, you know, please look for her." And um, there is stereotypes when you look and there's the overdone eyeliner and there's the piercings and the, you know, everything um, all dark and, um, you know, kind of a, you know, a harsher appearance, you worry that they're going to think, well, she's just on the run or she, you know, um, she'll surface or whatever. But when you show them, uh, when you show them, you know, something that, like I said, is the girl next door, you think maybe, maybe they'll look a little harder if we show them that picture. Well, I just can't even imagine how many times does she go missing during the course of, of um, her struggling with addiction? Oh gosh, I couldn't even tell you. I, I couldn't even tell you because it was, it was random. I mean, there was sometimes that she was just gone for a few hours where she was not letting me reach her. And then there were times gone a whole night. There was times when she was gone for three days and um you know the phone is off the phone seems like it's dead the phone you know and you know those sorts of things um uh, the answer to that is probably too many times to count so how did you cope and how did your husband cope because as parents i can't even imagine not being able to get in touch with my three girls so i can't imagine what's going through your head how did you cope? oh it's excruciating it's it's, it's painful because you um you know, you barely, you barely survive it because you are so, um, you know, you don't know what to do. I mean, do I go running out into the street screaming her name? I mean, where do I look? What do, you know, who do I call? Where do I look? What do I do? Um, but, you know, we coped by um, making it a, a conscious effort to stick together. We were going to, we were going to, we were going to, uh, you know, not quit on her, not quit on each other. And it was a, it was tough at times. So how did you cope with the world outside world? Cause you obviously had to have like a little cocoon around you as well to kind of protect yourselves. Right. Right. I mean, the outside world is tough because the outside world can be pretty harsh. Um, you know, because you're feeling judged, you're feeling, um, like, you know, you're that family and she's that girl and, you know, you, you're you not supposed to worry about things like that, but, you know, it's reality and you do. Um, but we, you know, the nice thing about the, the book is that, I mean, I wanted it to be a, I wanted it to be a, an outreach. I wanted it to be a hug. I wanted it to be an embrace. I wanted it to be comfort. And the nice thing about it is, um, you know, people were reaching back and people were saying, surfacing and saying, oh my goodness, you know, that's us too. And, you know, and it's not just us too, it's everyone. And you don't realize that because people are silent in their shame and they're quiet about it. And um, when you reach out and say, this is us, people are very anxious to unload and say that's us too because i i don't think i know anybody who hasn't been directly or indirectly touched by um you know addiction in mm -hmm. some way that is so true now there's a couple of things that um and one of the questions that i remember when you talk about who would you want to have dinner with why did you pick the olive garden number one was that your favorite <laughs> restaurant <laughs> Um, you know, 
what? I don't know. I, I like the Olive Garden, I guess. And I don't know. It just seemed like a warm, cozy, family-ish place to, to, uh, to have dinner. And I think that the next answer to that question was it basically said how you got through it was your faith because you said you wanted to sit down with Jesus and have a conversation about Natalie. Why her? Why me? Why us? Yes. Yeah. Because you want to know. Um, I mean, I'm one of those people that likes to believe. I guess I take comfort in thinking that everything happens for a reason. And, and I like to think that the reasons are good reasons. Um, but you know, I'm human and you know, I, I doubt and like everybody else. And I, I am a very faith filled person, but, um, this brings you to your knees and, um, it, it knocks you down. And when it goes on as long as it did, you do doubt and you're like, you know what, there's no good reason for this. There's, there's no good reason for this. This is just pain and this is unfair. And I think, um, I think that, uh, I probably would like to ask Jesus just like, why, why me, why her, why so much pain? Um, but sometimes I think I found the answer to that one. So, oh, you have? well, I like to think that, um, I'm a messenger mm. and maybe he knew that I would reach out and comfort others and um, maybe she could be an example as to how to survive and i always tell her everybody loves a comeback kid natalie be the comeback kid so how did you not stray from your faith because i know this has got to be really tough like you were asking why us why her why me you know how did you manage to stay strong in your faith oh you know what i mean i don't want to over over um I mean, I'm strong in my faith. I remain strong in my faith, but it's not like I didn't waver. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not like I didn't have my doubts and didn't have my my feelings. Um, uh, but I just, it's it's what I've always relied on, and I did what I did out of sometimes habit, and sometimes I, you know, sometimes it was just habit, you know, and then sometimes it was um, from the heart. And I thought, you know, I, I will um, embrace um, I will embrace my faith because if anything's going to get me through, that's it. Because I don't think there's anything better. Yeah, that is so true. Now, another thing that really struck me is when you were driving, looking around, looking for her, you said you would write her obituary in your head. Yeah, honestly, I did. I, I did. I mean, I don't, you know, and then when I wrote that, that chapter, I was like, what are people going to think of this? And then, you know, I mean, there was so much that I wrote in the book that I was like, am I the only person who thinks of these things or is, do other people write obituaries that whether it be their own or other people's obituaries in their heads or not. And I actually don't know the answer to that, but I know it's something that I honestly did. And um, I mean, I hoped to never, and thank God I've never had to do it. And I hope to never do it, but um I think it was just a part of my reflecting on mm -hmm. the people, um, the people that were, you know, involved in her life. Yeah, because honestly, I think as a parent, I know I don't know per personally, but my parents actually, my sister died at age twenty-seven um, due to cancer. But it's still, when you're a parent and you see a child go die before you. That's really hard. So I can't even imagine what you were going through. It's not natural. That's for sure. Yeah. 
well. So we are going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and you're going to read part of your book, right? Perfect. Okay, here we go. Here, let me see if I find the commercial. Dear Mr. President and finally, Madam Vice President. Dear President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, congratulations on winning the election. One concern I have is thinking about all those families who got separated. One worry I have is people are dying from COVID-19. People think the vaccine is here, so everything is fine. One thing you should know about kids my age is that we have questions and want answers. If I was in charge like you, I would keep in mind kids can do a lot more than you could ever imagine. If I was in charge like you, I would visit local schools to see what kids need. Poor people should have nicer houses and more food. We should make clean energy more accessible to the average citizen. I would work hard to keep people safe. I would stop the nonsense. What will you do with the power you have now? And we are back with Nat, with now Natalie, with Christine talking about her book about Natalie and you're going to read a portion of your book, correct? Yes, I am. Yes, thanks for asking. I walk into Natalie's room after calling countless times up the stairs and find her sitting on the floor in the fetal position. I guess she didn't quite make it all the way to the bed. She is shivering while at the same time her skin is glistening with sweat. She is wearing only her bra and panties. She is impaired. What did you do, Nat? I asked her. What did you take? She had been pretty good for a while, or it seemed that way anyway. But now we are back to this. Predictably, she mutters nothing in response to my question. Yeah, you never take anything, I grumble back. I start to feel guilty for my snideness, then I decide I am entitled to this. I don't like how she looks, and I'm not comfortable dealing with it without guidance. I go out into the hallway, call Peter on my cell, and describe the situation as I see it. He allays my fears and tells me that she probably needs to just pass through it, but tells me to call again if I need to. I go back into the room and help her onto the bed. She is groggy, and I practically have to lift her. I'm not strong enough, so I end up pushing her. I cover her up with blankets and look around the room, trying to find a place to sit amongst the mess. There is no place, so I push a pile of clothes to the side and sit on the floor with my back leaning up against the bed. I should clean and make better use of my time in this room while I am here, but that's another thought and inclination that I ignore, and for the millionth time, I wonder how we got here. How did we get to this horrible place? Mommy, Natalie moans as she stretches and turns. Stay with me, she whines, and with her eyes still closed, she reaches outward, with her hand wanting me to grab it. I am less worried now realizing that Peter was right and that she would gradually sleep it off, which appears she is doing, and I am now becoming angry. So I do what most mothers do, know I would do. First in these situations, I yell at her. You need to shape up, things need to change. You need to get help. We cannot continue to live this way. I watch her on the bed waiting for her reaction, which is stupid on my part because she is far too impaired to comprehend what I'm saying, let alone care about my words or feelings. I know she manages weakly appearing to drift in and out of consciousness. I realize that she does not mean these words, 
now, nor will she remember these words later. She still has her eyes closed and her arms remain outreached with her hand dangling, waiting for mine. Love me, she whines. I shake my head and sigh, then take her hand and hold it in mine while saying, of course I love you. I always have and always will, and I'm not going anywhere. She nods, then drifts further away. Sitting on the edge of the bed this way reminds me of the times that I would sit at her bedside when she was little and had chronic ear infections. I would give her the medicine and sit with her plate into the night. She would be groggy and exhausted, drifting in and out of sleep, moaning and whining, fragments of sentences, mostly mommy. I knew then that she was not awake. It didn't appear to be hearing me. It would not remember anything of this night in the morning. But I just could never bring myself to leave the room and go back to bed. When someone calls for their mother, she should answer them, whether they know she does or not. Wow. I just, I can't even imagine. It's like when you wrote this book, you were reliving every single solitary moment all over again. I was. I was. It was a, it was, it was therapeutic. It was hard to write. And I, I went places that I never thought that I would go or thought maybe I should go. But I thought, you know, I'm, if I'm not going to be authentic, I'm not going to be real and I'm not going to be honest, um, I shouldn't do it. Um, it would be disrespectful um, to everybody and mm -hmm. people would see through it. So um, go all in or don't go. Now, going back to that question of faith, I also thought it was kind of, I kind of chuckled when you got an argument with the priest in the confessional, when you're saying it was all your fault and he was telling you it wasn't your fault. Right. I mean, it's not a, it's not a laughing matter, but it just kind of chuckles because a lot of parents think what happens to their kids are their fault. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, you just, you just feel that way. I mean, you feel like you're, you're in charge, you're in control and, you know, um, you just feel, I mean, it's, when things happen, where was I, what was I doing? You know, where, you know, I could have stopped this and I didn't. And, you know, you just accept that responsibility, whether you deserve it or not. That's so true. Now you've learned a lot of things through Natalie, um, addiction and Natalie has shared with you some things like, for instance, um, I thought, I had never thought about it as well like you had in the book where Natalie says drug dealers have sales. They raise prices. They give free samples. Right. I have never thought about that. that me either. No, no, me either. I was, I, you know, I mean, I would, we would have, I mean, Natalie and I were very close. Um, thankfully, um, she's, I mean, she's my girl and I, you know, we talk and talk and, um, we, you know, we have talked about an awful lot of things and, um, my curiosity would get, the better of me and i would say to her natalie you know how does like how does this work i mean what do you you know and i said you know you 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 go you know where did you last thanksgiving you disappeared where'd you go and well you know i got lost because the drug dealer wasn't in his normal spot he was having thanksgiving with his mother so i had to go to his mother's house and you know i mean and you're like really and then the whole um, you know, do drug dealers have Thanksgiving at their mother's house? Apparently they do. And um, then the, the whole giving it to you for cheap so that you get addicted. And um, then once you're hooked, the price goes up. And I guess there is a thing about when um, you're getting ready to go into jail, you get rid of your supply. And when you come out of jail, you um, try to get your customers back then you have a little bit of a discounted price. I mean, it's all—it's a whole thing that mm -hmm. I can't keep track of, but apparently it's the reality of it all. 
Well, I can't even imagine. And luckily you, you were close enough that now you know all the ins and outs. Do you ever think that she'll slide back? Do, are you constantly in the fear that she's going to slide back? I'd be lying if I said to you that I wasn't always in fear of that. Um, Natalie has um, thankfully been clean for about two years, which I mean, yay, Natalie, because um, yep. it's remarkable and it's amazing. And it, it's it's really a um, testimony of, of this, the, the great, great person that she is. But she the fighter that she is more more aptly but um yeah i mean if i if i told you that i didn't live a little bit of everyday kind of in fear i i'd be lying to you so how did she get out of that the spiral and the drug use did was it something that she made that determination that she was going to do it herself or was it constant badgering her no it was i mean it was i have to say it was mostly 100 percent her I mean, I mean, we helped and we supported, supported, and we, you know, we tried to make the decision. We tried to lead her to that decision. But honestly, um, you can lead all you want, and um, until um, until she woke up and said, "I need to stop living this way," um, it wasn't happening. Because I mean, uh, Lord knows, we all decided we needed to stop living that way years before mm -hmm. but she had to wake up and say okay enough and how we helped was supporting her in making that decision i mean the logistics getting to rehab and and things like that but um that was the only thing that i would i would you know one of the things that i would tell other parents you know um they they have to want it i mean we tried to make her want it and tried to provide motivation for that but it wasn't until she said enough that enough was was enough was there a particular incident that made her decide that or was she just got up one morning and said i'm done with this life i think it was more of an a slow a slow fall into rock bottom i think it was um living that life can be exhausting and tiring and um you know, I asked her about that and she said, well, you know what, mom, I, I had to get up every day and decide, you know, I had to figure out as sick as I was with the cravings and, you know, all of that. I had to decide where I was going to get and how I was going to get and how I was going to pay for it. There was a, it was a full-time job sustaining her addiction. And I think she just thought, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Wow, I can't even imagine. Now, some of the um, parts in your book, you talked about finding like her drug paraphernalia all around the house, like the one chasing the dog with the syringe. And then the one that really shocked me was when you were getting dressed and you found the syringe in your, because it pricked you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, um, yeah, I had, I had done laundry the day before. I had, I mean, it's family laundry. So you throw everybody's clothes in there together. And I was, Got got out of showers, getting dressed, and pulled up some uh, underwear and saw stars. And then I um, looked between my legs, and a syringe um, was stabbing me. And um, yeah, and um, it, I mean, it's those horrific moments that you you just you know. And then what do you do? Or what was I gonna? You know, who was I gonna call? I mean, you, you, I mean, how do you say that to? You know, how do you how do you confess to that? You know, it's, it's those sorts of things that sort of leave you reeling um, 
and and make you feel even more alone because you think well, I bet this is something nobody's ever done but you know I think probably um, probably somebody else has did you it, when you were got pricked by the syringe did you think in your mind what you possibly could have caught from the syringe I thought of everything I thought of every I mean I thought I went there I went just with the, the surface like um, you know the the pain and the you know like I can't tell anybody because I'm embarrassed and then I was like well, maybe I should tell somebody because what was in that syringe and you know what I don't know, diseases in the price on silly what diseases can I have what I, again what could I have caught um, yeah, I went everywhere with it. Wow. With so that dog. <laughs> Another point in the book, you said that a, an addict's manipulation skills are second to none. So let's talk about some of the ways that you guys were manipulated. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, because you're, you're so easily man manipulated because you love so deeply. Mm -hmm. And um, you love so deeply, so it's very hard um to be, it's very easy to be manipulated by someone that you love so much. Um, first of all, you want to believe what they're saying, you, and you and you want, not only do you want to believe that you don't want to believe that they're lying to you, so you want to believe what they're saying, and you also um, you want easy solutions to things. So when she would say, "I'm done," I'd say, "Great, she's done," and not let myself think she's not done. And then when she would want money that was supposedly for other reasons or, um, you know, uh, you know, missing jewelry, missing, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, it's not her. It's, you know, um, so you're, you're very, very pliable when it's somebody that you love. Now, you mentioned before one of the things that you would say to parents. What are some of the other things that you would say to parents that are struggling with this right now with their children? Well, I mean, definitely the overriding um, idea that, you know, you're not alone um, and that there's um, there's really no need for all of the shame and the embarrassment. I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately, you're in, in good company and um, happens to good people. Um, I, I feel, you know, because I was, you know, instantly, as soon as I found out that, you know, uh, somebody said to me, you know what, Natalie's an addict, this is the proof. I, you know, I did just you know what exactly you know you do i went completely into denial oh my gosh no no you're wrong you're wrong not me not her um try to skip that step i i lingered way too long in that step um it it doesn't help anything um i would uh, I, I shy away from advice but i would tell parents to educate themselves educate yourself well and early um because i was late to the party I didn't realize that 12 year olds stole pills. I should know that 12 year olds steal pills. And I didn't know that. Um, I mean, if you're not one to take a class, if you're not one, I mean, do a Google search. I mean, it'll tell you what um, common household objects you should look for um, if they're collecting these things, if you're finding these things in their room, um, missing spoons. I mean, you know, who knew? I mean, you know, who knew that that was a that was a thing? Um, I I think that um, get the get the support and 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 um, and don't beat yourself up because beating yourself up really, you know, it doesn't feel good and it doesn't it doesn't help. It's not it's not like it's helping the situation. And I would also encourage 
I would also encourage people to take care of themselves and, and there's no shame in that. And it's not only, you know, not wrong, it's the right thing to do because if you don't take care of you, um, you cannot take care of them. And um, so allow yourself that. I mean, that's one of the things that I learned in a class when we dropped her off at rehab, you know, the, mm. the director said, you know, um, you know, I, I, was going into the, I, did, I only went into the class begrudgingly because we were, you know, I wanted to leave because I, I just, I had to get, you know, I needed a minute to get out of there. And they said, oh, it was a family class. And I, of course, didn't want to look like a bad mother. So I went to the family class. And then we went in there and I thought, I'm, this isn't for me. There's nothing they're going to say that's value to me. But the, the advice that they gave was take care of you. It's, you're allowed. And not only are you allowed, but it's the right thing to do. Um, because that's how you're going to get through a lot enough and well enough to take care of them. Wow. So how did you take care of yourself during all this time? Well, I have to say, you know, I didn't for a long time. I mean, I, you know, I gained 40 pounds. I, you know, um, I didn't exercise. I didn't eat well. I was, um, definitely suffering from depression. I, you know, I didn't take care of myself at all. And, um, and I just felt like I was just dying right along with her. And then I just thought, you know, um, I think at the urging of people and honestly, you know, the, the educated people, you know, telling me, you know, you don't have to, to not take care of you and mm -hmm. I thought, you know what maybe i can and and I, I i then made um a portion of the day you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take that walk i'm gonna cook and not get the takeout and eat a little bit better and i'm gonna maybe feel a little bit better and i'm gonna go to the doctors for some checkups and i'm gonna um i began seeing a psychologist which mm -hmm. again i was like oh you know what in the world is he gonna say you know nothing Cause you know, he can't, he can't snap his fingers and make this better, mm -hmm. but it helped it. You know, he, it was a time to focus on me. So um, self, I'm a big, 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 big fan of self care. Mm -hmm. So was there any groups that people would refer you to telling you here are support groups for parents with, with children that have drug addictions or was that sign of hush hush that people didn't talk about? Well, um, you know, a combination. I mean, it was kind of hush hush, but then people mentioned Naranon and um, those um, those family support groups, which I of course knew that I didn't need until I, you know, dropped into one and thought, oh my gosh, this is this is a good thing. Um, and um, I really have found value in in that. Um, so yeah, I mean, people were encouraging with. I mean, those groups exist for a reason. They exist because they help. You know, and sometimes when you're on the outside looking in, you're thinking that's not for me, but step inside for a minute and then you find that it is. So that's part of it. You were still living in the de denial, not thinking it was for you because you really didn't want to face up to the fact that you're, even though you knew in your mind, your daughter had an addiction, but sharing mm -hmm. it with the outside world brought that shame and that guilt to you. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, even after I acknowledged that she was um, an addict, I just, I kind of, to be honest with you, I kind of resented so much time and so much energy was involved in all of this that I didn't want in my life. And I was resentful that all of this drug 
I don't know, drug talk, drug um, feeling, all of it, all of the things that drugs do to invade your life. I was resentful. And I thought, well, the last thing I want to do is go and uh, in my free time, talk about it more. Mm. And I, but I found that, I found that it was, it, talking about it was helpful. It was a form of therapy for you that basically was a free form of therapy. Certainly, yes. I just, I just actually applaud you. The, the courage that you took to write this book, to share your daughter's story and your story and your family's story, because, you know, like you said, you wanted to stop the shame around it to let people know that other people struggle with this. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, honestly, this was like, a, when you look at the cover, you see this cute little girl and I can't even yeah. imagine. So I'm, I'm at, I'm like a little heart. I mean, little, uh, because, you. you know, just as a parent, you can't help but want the best for your kids. And when something like this happens, it just like, you're like, what did I do wrong? What did, what did, why can't I fix her? Like you had right. a fix you had a fix Natalie to-do list yes. in your book. And I'm like, did that help you keep your sanity during this time? Cause honestly, some people I think would probably go a little crazy with all this stuff. Um, you know what? I, I, I did both. I went a little crazy, but yeah, my to-do lists are kind of my, <laughs> kind of my thing and writing physically writing down fix Natalie, um, you know, kept me, kept me um, focused and um, somehow, somehow it was therapeutic for me. Wow. I just applaud you really for sharing the story so that other parents can know. And either maybe people that are going through addiction right now, that if a parent hands them the book and say, here, read this book, even they're like, I'm not going to read it. But honestly, I think you make a lot of great points in here that it's not only informative about what happens to a family that struggle with drug addiction, but also entertaining as well. I mean, because there are some really great, like the drug dealer, I would have, I was laughing at that, not to, because it's funny, but because you never would have thought about that, are sitting down with Jesus at the Olive Garden. I'm like, <laughs> why did you choose the Olive Garden? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another um, incident when you're in the Panera and you hear these two people talking. Let's talk about that. Uh, yes, they were drug, um, I, well, the, when I was in uh, the drug addiction counselors, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the drug addiction counselors. And um, I don't know, I hear, a, I, I guess I'm a, a, a shameful eavesdropper, but I, I find that I sit and I write and I hear a lot of people and I learn from a lot and they were drug addiction counselors and they were um, talking about how they were, they were helping people. And um, I just was so drawn, so drawn to them and I took a chance and, and reached out and they reached out back and it was a, it was a real nice moment. I honestly think that was God planned because you were talking oh, about it was your regular, it was your regular table was open and they were sitting right next to the table. I mean, I was like, that is God working in her, in her way. I so agree with you. So is there anything else that you would like to share one last nugget for people? Oh, um, hope have hope have faith um don't give up keep on trying um recovery is absolutely possible so tell people where they can find you and where they can find your book 
Okay, um, the book is available wherever books are sold. Amazon is a good place. And um, you can find me at christinemaiman.com and you can find me at um, aboutnatalieaddictioncomfort.com. And I'd love to hear from people. That would, uh, that would just thrill me. So what's up next? Or do you have another book coming out? Do you have another book in the works or you just kind of want to... I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna concentrate on spreading this message right now. Yeah, and, and it's a great message to spread. And I think coming from someone who's actually was in the depths with the drug addiction, I think people are gonna receive it a lot better than somebody so. who was standing outside saying they should have done this, they should have done that. You're talking about some of the mistakes she made, some of the mistakes she made, and how you guys got back together. And I really love that. Thank you. So the book is called About Natalie Again. And Christine, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing yours and Natalie's story to, for the world to, to read. Thanks for having me. So guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Be blessed. And remember, keep chatting. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe, Hit subscribe. and don't, don't miss, miss the next, next episode. episode.